0: You are in control. Lord, there is not one molecule in this universe that does not obey your command. So we know that when we come to you and submit ourselves to you to lay our lives at your feet, that we have rested it in the safest place that we can put it. And Lord, we know that you love us. We know because you died for us that you came into this earth and you bore the penalty which was our own. Lord, you made us white as snow. That's why we can say that we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, let that truth sink deep into our hearts. Let it fill us with wonder of who you are. May it uh, inspire us to search more into this majestic being, God, in whom is all beauty and all perfection and that we have a relationship with. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, please open up this word to us. We long to hear from you. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: going to be sharing from Romans chapter 9 verses 30 through 33 this morning and also uh, taking a look at second uh, uh, Peter chapter 2 verses 6 7 and eight uh, both of them dealing with the, the same subject matter and uh, Paul starts right off in, in verse 30 what shall we say then? And so what he's going to be doing here is summing up what he's been talking about in chapter 9. And so just a quick review is is that chapter 9, basically the the premise was was to show who is in charge. The sovereignty of God. God is the one who causes things to happen. He's the one with the plan from before the foundation of the world. He's the one that knows the, the, the end from the beginning. All the things that we've talked about over and over and over again. You know, is, is that picture that God is sovereign and in control. Nothing escapes him. Nothing you know and that other picture is is that God, I don't think I've said it in this, uh, this series yet, God is never late. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God is never late. It's his timing, his schedule. You know, you'll run out, and at least I find myself I'll have, you know, the week basically plan out things I'm going to do, this I'm going to do, and then something inadvertently comes up, and I wasn't planning on, it, interrupts it, and the next thing you know, I'm having to call someone else and saying, hey, I can't keep this appointment because I really need to be doing this or something different, and and you know, it's it's one of those things. Some people get frustrated at, at, at that, but the the real picture is is that. Uh, God has is, is got a, a purpose, a plan, and He's put it all together. And each of us are a part of that. There isn't any of us that are not involved, and that includes people who aren't saved. Caesar Augustus, he, you know, he thought it was really being clever at figuring out how to get a, a head count for his taxes, and so he puts out a, a, a decree that requires the, the, the head count. And for the Jewish people, that meant going back to their home, ancestral home of record, which would be Joseph and Mary, both children of the, of the lineage of David, had to go back to Bethlehem right when Jesus needed to be born. Caesar's sitting there thinking, aren't I clever? <laughs> and I don't know how many times I've come across, done something, and I'll look at myself and say, you know, kind of like stuck by thumb and put out a poem, you know, that kind of thing. And say, what a good boy am I. You know, and, and realize that I have nothing original, nothing new. God has it all figured out. And that's not, you know, some people could get kind of discouraged with that. The neat thing is to be exciting when you realize, I'm on His page, you know. I, I'm, I'm enjoying my life in this world because I'm seeking the God of all creation. My sovereign God who saved me. And so, Paul's other concern in Romans chapter 9, though, was what about the Jews? Some people might be looking, as Paul has talked about, all the promises that God is going to keep with us. That we won't be separated from Him and all the things He said. And then somebody might look at the Jews and say, well, you know, He made a lot of promises to the Jews. And now, it doesn't look like those promises are being fulfilled because they're not getting saved. And we know that this is Paul's heart by the way he starts out, chapter 9, wishing that he himself could give up his own salvation, literally, to become damned in order that the nation of Israel, his brothers, would be saved. But that wasn't something that was possible. And so he goes to explain, in God's sovereignty, there is an issue with the nation of Israel. God knew this would come, he knew it all along. And we're going to see how this finally plays together here in the end of chapter 9. So he's playing on the the you know on on the focus if you will uh, on the point that he has been driving for all the way through his concern for his brothers, the Jews, and with all those promises yet to be filled and seeing Israel as a nation basically unsaved. However, Note that in verse 27 of, of chapter 9, he does talk about a remnant. And if you go through the Old Testament, you're going to go back several times, you're going to find the idea of a remnant is nothing new. Israel falls away from God as a whole, but God always seems to have a remnant. A remnant. As, as the prophet goes when he says, oh, woe is me, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm the only one left who cares. And God says, no, there's 7,000 others the remnant, always there. And there were people of Jewish ancestry, of the Jewish nation, who were coming to Christ at this time. But God had had a plan from before the foundation of the world. He explained it through the prophets that not only while Israel looked like it was going to be pulling away, God was going to use that time to open the door to a whole other group of people that He had on plan, he had on His plan, which was the Gentile world. And so, of all the people, he sends Paul, a Jew among Jews. Couldn't ask for a guy who knew more about Judaism than Paul. Ideal person to send to more Jews to convert, right? You know, that's the way we normally do things. We find a guy that you know knows all about a particular thing, he gets saved. We say, "Ah, we'll send him back there and, and use him there." You know, God sends him to the Gentile world. Totally out of his element, in one sense. Therefore, totally having to depend on God in every way. So, this concern, while Israel is being judged as a nation for her unbelief, it was an open door for the Gentiles. And all of this is part of God's sovereign plan. So, going to verse 30 of of chapter 9, Paul writes, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, That is a righteousness that is by faith. Notice that isn't a question, it's a statement. What shall we say then? Well, here's one thing we should say. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Critical factor for this whole passage. A righteousness that is by faith. Has that not been a critical part of all of Romans, since we've gotten into it, from, from one hundred seventeen on. You know, this idea of, of by faith, through faith, in faith. By faith you are saved. Even going back to Habakkuk in chapter 2, quoting that, by faith you are saved. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they've attained it. They've attained righteousness. How did they attain it? By faith. God opened their eyes and, and through faith as he, as he opens their eyes and, and, and actually I believe instills the faith to believe in the first place. He gives them the want and the desire to see it and, and, and opens it up. And they haven't done any of the works that all the Hebrew people have done. There was a big argument for years in the in, in, in the, the, the the church in the early church about whether a, a person, as he became a Christian, needed to do all of the works of the Hebrew people in the sense of circumcision and other aspects of the Hebrew law, including all their washings and and things like that as a part of their heritage. And they came up to the conclusion, Acts 15 explains it very clearly, none of that applies to the Gentile world. That was always to be a picture for the Hebrew people to understand one thing, their need for a Savior. Why? Because as hard as they struggled, they never mastered the law. They always were falling short. Well, God intended that. He never intended them to get saved by the law. It was always by faith over and over and over completely going clear back to, to, to Genesis 15, 6. He says it over and over and over again. By faith, by faith, by faith. Like I said, one, uh, uh, the point of the offering this morning was there's a places, several places, uh, Psalm 51 and others, I don't want your offerings, Hosea says it, uh, if, if your heart isn't in it, if your faith isn't in it, if you aren't involved in it, because your offerings can't save you. There needs to be this intimacy, this relationship. It's always been the point. Israel, however, got caught up with pursuing the law. That was their problem. Not coming by faith, trying to conquer the law in their own flesh. And so they were not succeeding without any success at all. Israel pursues it without success and again why because they weren't pursuing it by faith and and, and what is it they're, they're not pursuing they're not pursuing righteousness by faith they're pursuing it trying to do it by works. So they, it says they were not, they were not pursuing it by faith but as if it were based on works. they have stumbled over the stumbling, very clearly Paul is making this by intimation here the stumbling stone has to do with their source of faith they're missing it they're tripping right over it it's kind of the picture of tripping over the obvious I don't know how many of you have ever been in a hurry doing something and there's something out that is clearly in the way and you completely don't see it the next thing you know you're on the floor or on the ground, or whatever. If you haven't been there, blessings on you. I I, I would like to say I, I'm not that clever. Uh, I, I seem to find the obvious and trip over it quite frequently. Uh, but anyway, that's, that picture is is, is a, a, a the idea that a, a stumbling stone would be something that's put in your way to impede the way. It's intentionally put in the way. And still they stumble over it. Okay. Now the the end thing is, is, that if you see it and you don't stumble over it, then it becomes something different than the stumbling. So now it becomes the foundation stone or the cornerstone, and it becomes something completely different. And so instead of something that you you know you trip over, you know, you bump into it and, and you turn around and say, oh wow, and you're all excited about it. Total different way of looking at things. To make sure that we understand that God's sovereignty is involved in all of this, he points out by, by quoting uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 8 and 28 and kind of mixing them together here. But this, this quote about, if the Lord of hosts, uh, or excuse me, behold, I am laying in his eye in a stone, a stumbling, uh, and a rock of offense and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. That picture of a prophetic statement being made uh, through Isaiah, also through Psalm 118 as well. Therefore, it's implied you can count on God's promises to be fulfilled. Those who believe in Him, by the way, you notice what it says, the final conclusion, those who believe in Him will not be put to shame. In other words, if your faith is active, if you come and by faith you're in a relationship with Him, you can count on His promises. The Jews wanted to count on their promises because they were the children of Abraham. God said, doesn't wash. Jesus said, if you were really children of Abraham, you would receive Me. So, the bottom line was, they needed to come in faith. They were not doing that. I wanted to look a little closer at this idea of of the stumbling stone, uh, a rock that that will make, you know, it's a rock that also it says will make them fall uh, in in Matthew chapter, uh, I think it's 21, a rock of offense. Who is the stumbling stone? Who is, because it's the same as the cornerstone, so who is the stumbling stone here? Jesus Christ, okay? Therefore, you know me, I have to put things in ways that I can see them, if the stumbling stone equals Jesus Christ, and the stumbling stone equals the rock of offense, then Jesus Christ equals the rock of, 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 of offense. I hope you all followed that, okay? Because the rock of offense, it, it, they're calling you know, it's calling Jesus as an offense to somebody. In other words, as they look at the stumbling stone, now we're we're, we're taking it back out of the picture. It's something that they can view, they can see, but they can't get a hold of it. Instead of of looking at it from something positive, they look at it from a negative point without faith, all towards worse, and they're saying this is disgusting, I want nothing to do with it, it's despicable, uh, it's, it's wrong, I, will, I don't want to address it, I want it out of my way, any kind of combination of things to the point where in some point someone will get angry enough to, to arrest and crucify because he's an offense to them. He was an offense to the Jews because he claimed to be God. He was an offense to the Romans because he was claiming a God and only one God and the Romans looked at lots of gods. He was an offense to the Gentile world who looked at gods and truth and said there's all sorts of truth. And Pilate would turn around and say, what is truth to him? Jesus to me. And so this real picture, this rock of offense, this stumbling stone, is the key to understanding why Israel's not getting it. They are at a fence, if you will, with Christ. And I mentioned uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 has the, the, uh, a more detailed picture of this, uh, starting with... Uh, well, I'm going to go back to the fourth verse real quick. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... Notice, see how, you know, that picture. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. By the way, if Jesus Christ is a living stone and he's rejected by men, what's the likelihood that you as a living stone, like him, are going to be rejected by men? Pretty good, okay? And so, uh, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house so be as holy, be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All of that comes because of Christ in you. It's the only way you can be made acceptable. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. That's the Isaiah 28 passage. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Isaiah 8. All three there again. You can see how Paul kind of combined them before together. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined God knew all along what would happen. And Paul wants us to make sure that we understand this. Peter wants to make sure that we understand this. God is not falling short. He's not, not, you know, His plan isn't fizzling in any way. As you go through this, you can rest with confidence. And they both make sure we understand this. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. The builders that it's talking about here in, in, in verse 7, they were the Jewish leaders. They are the ones that rejected. The scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, the priesthood. Uh, they were the ones who rejected Christ. They were the builders. They were, that was their assignment was to lift up the, the things of God and to draw people unto Him. And they rejected Him. The cornerstone. If you reject the cornerstone, can you build a building that has any sustenance to it? Any ability to stand? No, the best you 're going to get is a building built on sand in a sense, if you want a comparison and you know and there you could use a cornerstone and fail anyway because of the sand everything will will shift and and, and anybody that 's built anything on sand and not sunk sufficient piers uh to to find bedrock to stabilize to will immediately find their house going you set a marble here, and it ends up in the kitchen down, you know, and it managed to go through a hallway and through a bedroom and around too, you know, uh, because there's no, you know, it, it, there's no hope for it in that words. The cornerstone is the key part, and it has to be on the solid rock, and all of that is tied together with this picture. You know, if you're resting in Jesus Christ, there will be no shame. But those builders who rejected it, they're, they're, they'll 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 re- they'll never find complete in Christ. They'll never find the grace that they're desiring, that they think they can earn. They reject the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. This cornerstone then causes the leaders to stumble. It is a stone of offense. The stumbling is a result of their disobedience of God's Word. In other words, trying to earn it, not coming by faith. And it was again, as they were destined to do, God's plan. What? I, I wrote myself this note. Okay. What was, and then I realized it's not just what was, what is so offensive about Jesus? And his word. Pretty much, the man. Why would I would men stumble over? What makes it something that they they're offended by? Well, the Pharisees. You know, they were respecters of tradition. <laughs> the Sabbath healings. Man, that was that just got them. Jesus disciples. Jesus, too, eating without having done the ceremonial washings. Jesus hung out with sinners. Of course, Pharisees were sinners, too, but they didn't see that. The Pharisees saw themselves as the guys who are are on top of everything. Therefore, everybody else, including the Sadducees and the Herodians that are Jews as well, they're all sinners. But Jesus hung out with them. Jesus wasn't embarrassed to be seen with them. And so there's a problem. There's a dilemma here. There's something wrong with Him. So the Pharisees were offended by Him. the Sadducees, they were also offended by Jesus. For all the reasons why the the Pharisees were offended by Him, for for a different point, the Pharisees were, were saying, oh, He does His miracles through the power of Satan and stuff like that. The Sadducees were upset because He did miracles. Because they didn't believe in them. They were the ones that said, "Hey, if if, if there is a heaven, and there's seven brothers, and they all die, each one of them, and, they, and each one remarries the wife to produce an heir for the previous one, and none of them have an heir, and at the end of all time, and when they get to heaven, who's she going to be with? Which husband?" Jesus says, "You missed the whole point. We won't need husbands and wives like we have them here now. You know, basically, you know." And he answered the question. But they they did that one because they don't believe in the resurrection. They they were trying to mess it up somehow, trip him up. And so they didn't care for Jesus because He believes in heaven. He believes in a resurrection. He believes in the supernatural stuff. So they were offended by Him. And in general, people were offended by the doctrines of grace, mercy, and forgiveness being the terms of of salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith, and even not that, but a gift from God. Like I told you, the Romans were offended because he had only the God, and they had many gods. It became the major stumbling block for the Roman people. They said, just accept that pantheon of gods over there. Just say, okay, 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 we accept it. And just say, your God is. The, you, you, we'll even let you say, your God is the God over all of them. That's what you believe. That's okay. We'll let you say that. And the, the church says, I can't do that. There's only one God, period. Persecution. Clearly, Jesus did not share his doctrinal positions and his teachings to please men. If you were going to invent a religion that you wanted to sweep the world with that was, was clever and, 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 and fanciful and in some way uh, would embrace a lot of people, you, Jesus did it all wrong. He was never considered politically correct by anybody you notice that doesn't matter what policy politics that he went to it doesn't matter what uh, political group would look at him they 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 looked down on him and they were offended by him because he preached a kingdom of god not only it's the only one that mattered And he declared with absolute clearness that his teachings were the truth from his Father, thus declaring himself deity, Son of God, God in the flesh. In fact, that was the main offense. It's even the main offense today for most people. The God in the flesh? Even Mormons can't handle that one. A God. Be God. Jews, Greek philosophers, imperial Rome, dark ages up through the Reformation, uh, there was always political strife and, and, and cultural strife. They thought the Reformation was going to really turn it around. But those people who really got involved in the Reformation had to run and hide most of the time. They had to find new places to live. They moved all over Europe and finally into the New World. The New World. (laughs) And for a season, things went fairly well, although there was strife even amongst themselves. My correct way of looking at things is better than your correct way of looking at things. <laughs> we have a sense of pride within us that's hard to get rid of and deal with. Christ, at the focal point, His teaching, His words, God, the, the Son of God in the flesh, is still the stumbling block today. man, the, 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 the picture is man must save himself. There is no God that's going to come save him. Man must save himself. And the people that believe that over and over again, I hear different groups, I, 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 especially this last week, it's been brought up once again. And it'll be, this is going to, it seems like it's going to come up all the way through, through this election now. And the idea of, of you get somebody out there who's extremely conservative in his faith and he says so. And he just says, I don't see abortion under any circumstances as being okay. He used an inappropriate term to describe what he was trying to say because it connotated a whole bunch of another another discussion, okay? And and one that he might agree with as well, quite candidly, but that, that was still something else. Okay, and it took it back to a whole other discussion and stuff like that. But the bottom line is, is that it's brought up again this picture. Anybody who believes in in pro life, they automatically started to tie this right wing conservative Christian group. You know, anybody who believes in pro life, also who believes in creation, also who believes in the Bible as the only Word of God, how ignorant can they be? Look at what all the science says. And they say it's science, fact this, science, fact that. These guys have got their heads in the sand. And when they're saying that, folks, they're saying it about us. And that is a bunch of malarkey. I am not afraid of science. In fact, I love science to go and push everything to every limit. I hope they find something on Mars that upsets the apple cart like never before. Because I am confident, as I stand with Billy Graham's statement from the the, the 60s, if there is, or was, or any kind of evidence of life in outer space, two things it will do. It will glorify God and benefit man because it has to. Scripture says so. You see, so, so you know, Christ is still the stumbling block. Uh, the Word of God is still a stumbling block. They look at it and they take offense at it. Why? Because it says, the bottom line, it says man needs a Savior Jesus Christ is the one and the only one. If you do not come through Him, you will not be saved. Jesus said it. Paul said it. The Scriptures say it. Old Testament says it. I mean, it goes all the way. It's the core of the whole picture. Wait, did I get messed up in my notes there? I don't know where I am. At the heart of all of this is the idea of, of man and, and, and being right and doing right before, the, you know, in things, being right before God. And the only way we can be right before God is in Christ's holiness, through Him, in us. And so it always takes us where? Every single time this discussion will ultimately take us to the cross. And this is the most offensive part. For so many of the world, God's plan to save us before the foundation of the world, He knew that His Son would come to the cross willingly. No one taking His life from Him, He laid it down. There wasn't one thing that happened that point at that time through that twenty-four hour span of whipping and scourging and mocking and beating and on the cross and His death and His burial. There wasn't one of those things that was not in His control by His choice. And it was part of the plan. Always had been. The very core of the plan. And with that would be the resurrection. The stone on the tomb would be rolled away so we could see an empty tomb. It's a neat thing. I don't have even close to time to go into this this morning, but uh, Charles Spurgeon has a whole sermon on the stone being rolled away being the stone of stumbling and in a picture of a thing, You know, How are we going to get into the tomb? Woe is me! Oh, it's open! The stone has been moved. Yeah. And it's been rolled away. That's a lot of, you know, as we look at all of this, I want to, to come at least back to this one focus, this negative thing, and positive thing. Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed, shall not be let down. A couple of things that different authors wrote The stone rejected by believers, the same is made the head corner. It has not affected him at all. Uh, In other words, the stone rejected by builders is the same one who has been made the headstone. It has not uh, affected him, Christ, at all. In other words, the fact that people rejected it hasn't affected Christ at all. Those who oppose Christ have by no means and in any degree lessened the glory which God has put on his Son. In other words, the world can shake its fist all it wants at Him. It's not going to make any difference. It's not going to taint His glory in any way, shape, or form. Another one said, Despite uh, what can be done by man and devils, not one elect soul shall be lost. Not one soul redeemed by the blood of the Lamb shall be snatched out of the Redeemer's hand. Christ shall not lose so much as a grain of glory neither on earth nor in heaven. So, come back to this. We shall not be ashamed. We shall be glorified in Christ. We can rest with confidence in that promise. Absolutely. As I was saying, the biggest debate seems to be in my lifetime centered around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So many different ideas and thoughts about it. And, and I'm not going to go into any of that but other than that we remember here this morning as we come to communion. His path, the death, burial, and resurrection was the path set forward by God for us to receive and to accept in the sense of the way to eternal life. And Every Sunday when we come to the Lord's table, we testify... God's truth in this we counted a gift from God our salvation its cost, its value was rethought every Sunday God held nothing back to purchase us he put it all on the cross laid it all out and then he said it is finished so we can come this morning with celebration and thanksgiving and know we will never be put to shame when we stand in Jesus Christ the world may shame us and they may, be, they may shun us and they may reject us because we stand for what they're offended by. Don't, be a, don't, don't let that be confused with backing away and being ashamed of who you are. Just rest with the confidence that it doesn't matter what the world thinks about Christ. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about the Word of God. What you know that is true is that it is Jesus Christ who saved you. And as you rest in that, His promises, the ones that count, will be there complete. He says, I will finish what I have begun in you. Period. Ask the ushers to come forward. Pass the communion out until we've all been served. And uh, hold it and, and, and we'll share it together.